0: Hey folks, this is John Day with the Weekday Bugle. Um, I know it's been a little while. I've been, um, I've been off. Let's say focusing on other things, work. Yeah, yeah, school work and uh, some other things as well. Um, so, um, I, re- I I know I just uh, I really I, I recorded this ep- the other uh, episode the other day about Victory Day. I recorded that one a little late. And I, um, turned, well, I recorded it about a week ago, I think, and I just had to re-release it, I just had to, like, re-release it, um, because I came in today to record, and it turns out the episode never actually released, or whatnot, on Anchor, so I went on there and tapped the retry and did that, and it's still uploading, I think. But anyway, so I've heard that uh, Russia is withdrawing its troops from Kharkiv Oblast after failing to capture key Ukrainian cities, and they're suffering heavy losses. They continue to suffer heavy losses. Um, Ru- Russia um, is withdrawing its troops from a uh, Ukrainian region, which is I think that's Kharkiv Oblast, that they encircled at the beginning of the war, is proving their inability. To capture Ukrainians key Ukrainian cities, so they're fail so they're failing to capture these key cities. In an intelligence update, the ministry said, uh, which uh, which is the uh, UK's Ministry of Defense, um, said Ukrainian forces are continuing to counterattack to the north of Kharkiv, recapturing several towns and villages toward the russian border despite russia's success in encircling kharkiv in the initial stages of the conflict it is what it is it has reportedly withdrawn units from the region to reorganize and replenish its resources following heavy losses kharkiv in ukraine's northeast is the country's second largest city with a with an estimated population of nearly 1.5 million people. With the withdrawal of Russian forces from, car, from Kharkiv Oblast, is a tacit recognition of Russia's inability to capture u- key Ukrainian cities where they expect to the resources from the population. The ministry says the withdrawn forces will likely deploy to the eastern bank of the, uh, of the, of the sibirsk of the Sibirsky donetsk River, forming a blockade, a blocking force to prevent the western flank of Russia's main force of operations from Kiev. Actually, no, I'm sorry. The ministry says the withdrawn forces will likely deploy to the eastern bank of the, S- the Sibirsky the donetsk River. Forming a blocking force to prevent the western flank of Russia's main force concentration and the main supply routes for operations in the vicinity of Izium. Russia's division of Ukraine has lasted seventy eight days. Here, hold on a minute. And some former Obama advisor is some bad news for Biden headed into the midterms. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Let's try and take a look at it. Former Obama advisor says inflation is here to stay. November will be a tough one for Democrats. Inflation is nearly 8.3% in April. In April, and has been hovering near uh, near a forty year high, pretty much at a forty year high if I had to, you know if I'm not mistaken, Steve C. Ratner, a former Treasury Department official under the Obama administration, predicted Thursday that Americans wouldn't see the end of inflation in a crisis anytime soon during an appearance on MSNBC's morning Joe Ratner declared. Inflation is here to stay and argued it will be the defining issue in the upcoming midterm elections, making November a really tough one for Democrats. And, yeah, I don't blame them, man. I mean, the inflation is pretty... Business. It's a, it's skyrocketing. It's like a... It's a complete nightmare. And if, if you folks saw the other day, Biden gave a speech on the economy and said, I've been doing everything I can to help. And said, I've made things a lot better. And he said... The inflation, and he said, I know what the inflation feels like. That's some BS, dude. You don't know what it feels like. You're one of the highest, one of those high, high in the clouds elites. You don't feel any inflation because you've got a whole bunch of money stacked behind you. You got a suit and tie. It's like, you've got plenty of money. It's like, you can't feel anything. Of You can't feel any of your own medicine. Sad. Co-host Micah, Micah, Micah Brzezinski began the topic. By expressing her worry over inflation, as well as Democrats hanging their hat on being the solution to it. I'm not I'm not sure one person, one country, one party can solve this problem with everything that's happening around in the world. She said, before stating that President Biden had been traveling the country to learn from and empathize with Americans suffering from the crisis. Which, I don't think he has really. She asked Ratner if his inflation was here to stay. Ratner said inflation is here to stay, and said it was the def- it's going to be the defining issue for men- for the midterm elections, and that the Democrats' control over the House and the, and the Senate was at stake because of it, and still is at stake. Referring to charts released by the Federal Reserve outlining the change of, in, in inflation rates over time, including a slight dip from from March to April, Ratner suggested it was possible inflation might have peaked earlier in the spring. He explained how that the gas prices are having a, that that the gas prices are having a big impact on the on the inflation rate and pointed them to reaching record highs in March, as inflation hit a 40-year high. But then dipped in April as the inflation rate saw a slight dip. He added that if you removed gas prices from a calculation, the inflation rate for April would have actually been 4.4 um, percent higher than the mass than the massive 8.3 rate. Look, the president has been blaming everything except himself and the Democrats for inflation. Or the inflation, Rader said. Arguing is is arguing the only element in Biden's favor was that inflation is a worldwide phenomenon. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Well, you see, um, the 8.3 record um, rate that for inflation. I've heard, I've heard people say that if you use the model. They used back in the '80s and the '90s. Now the inflation calculation, uh, the way to calculate inflation, has changed a lot since then. Uh, and uh, there's a few, there's been a few small changes within the past, I think, 10 years, maybe, maybe 20. They said if, if you were to calculate the inflation based off of the '80s model, they say that um, the inflation would, I, I think, it would actually be over 15 percent. That's even that's far worse. So yeah, apparently the Fed they are trying to um, they are trying uh to make make the inflation not look as bad as it really as it really is. So in reality, the inflation is actually far worse than the government is actually telling you. It's far worse than that, and it feels a lot worse than that for most folks. He then outlined the factors contributing to inflation that he saw within the control of the Biden administration. There's a fair amount of self-inflicted pain that we've put on ourselves with too much stimulus, too much big big budget um, deficits, too much bond buying by the Fed, too much money being printed by the Fed, and that's that's what's coming home to roost. And look, it's the number one issue, and it's going to be a really tough one for Democrats. He went on to argue that none of the policies being pushed by the Biden administration would have any meaningful effect on inflation between now and the fall. So, you could say the Democrats are doomed. Yeah, pretty much doomed. Elementary school teachers say no to parents' wishes. They refer to students by pronouns given at birth. This educator said, and because I had my principal and my superintendent's support, there wasn't much they could do. A group of elementary school t- educators Reve- revealed in a v- recently, in a recent viral, uh, well, virtual panel that they would say no if a parent asked them to refer to their students' pronouns by the pronouns they were given at birth as opposed to their preferred pronouns. Oh my god. So here goes the gender pronoun crap. Let's go ahead and listen to it. Kathy Butler, a second grade principal teacher at Harvey Milk Civil Rights Academy in San Francisco, ooh, California, moderated the meeting. Creating and sustaining GSAs in the elementary schools on April 26th, she asked her panelists to answer questions submitted by other educators, some of which d- dwelled in the topics related related to gender identity. What should we do if a parent requests that we refer to their child by the pronouns associated with, the, with their sex assigned at birth instead of their preferred pronouns? And that, and that we use a legal name instead of a student's chosen name. One of the students asked, I could, I could actually play it right here, but I don't know if you guys will be able to hear it or not. Requests that we refer to their child by the pronouns associated with their sex assigned at birth instead of their preferred pronouns or their pronouns.
1: Um, and what, and that we use their legal name instead of a student's chosen name. So I could respond with something that I've done. This came up for me. Um, uh, it's come, come up in a couple different ways, but it's come up for me where caregivers asked, um, I actually referred to their child's name um, in an IEP, meaning um, using the name that the child had asked to be um, referred to and their chosen pronouns. Um, and the caregivers reacted really strongly and then followed up with me and the principal and said like, I noticed that you were using a different name name, then my child's given name at birth and birth and the pronouns that we gave them. Um, And I'm respectfully asking that you use the name and the pronouns that we gave them. Um, And I, so the laws in every state are different, obviously, and I, I can't speak to the laws in everyone's particular state. Um, But I will say, um, again, the resources that we'll give you after this um, have some helpful sites where you can go and look up um, what the rules are for your estate. But I, before I responded to the caregiver, um, I made sure that I had my, um, I ran it by my principal and my superintendent just to make sure that I had their, that they had my back. Um, and then I responded, um, I chose my words carefully and I said, I hear you, I I, I hear what you're saying. I, and I kind of, I tried to really like affirm what the caregiver was asking me. Um, like in terms of, you know, I was like, I hear you saying that um, you're feeling uncomfortable with me, you know, using the the child's preferred name and pronouns, and I hear that you're using different, different ones at home, Um, here at school. um, The, the expectation is that all of my students feel comfortable and welcome in my classroom. So in my classroom, I will refer to your child by whatever name and pronouns that they've told me they feel most comfortable with. Um, And just just had that be it almost like the, the um, guidelines that I try to use when I'm like explaining hard topics to my students, like less is more. Um, I just say like, it sounds like that really works for you at home and you can absolutely choose to do whatever you'd like at home in my classroom. And I, I even say like every year I start out my um, year by like sending home information to, to caregivers that says like, just so you know, like this is an affirming class. Like one of the ways I affirm students is I call them by the names that they refer. they asked to be called by and use their correct pronouns. So just like, really, I just told them that maybe that's not helpful, but I just told them no, um, like respectfully, no. And it, and it, because I had, um, my principal and my super support, um, there wasn't much they could do. And they eventually, they eventually kind of found another, um, you know, another like topic to, to, to like squawk about and they, <laughs> so it's not, professional. But anyway, and they left that alone, they kind of got over it. Um. Similarly to what Kieran said, um, at uh, my school district, uh, LGBTQ plus students have a bill of rights. And the fourth one is that they have the right to be referred to by their gender pronoun and name that fits their gender identity. Um, And so similarly, there was a situation where a parent felt that uh, the school was not doing what they wanted them to do and we i don't know if we were even respectful about it we were just like no that's sorry like the our district-wide rule is that the student determines that not you even though you are the parent ours is the same and again it really speaks to where you're working what the district is the state laws um and having the backing of your administration
0: and your superintendent and and the district that says this is our policy. Um, And I'm going to follow the policy. Yeah, um, okay. They're not your kids, okay? They're the, the... So, the parents can tell you no. That, no, this is my kid. This is what my child goes by. The teachers are not the parents of the children, okay? So... Kieran Slatley, along with Butler, co- co-founded Gender Inclusive Classrooms. Of course, he's a woke This is all woke stuff. Said he chooses to honor the students, which is not those of the caregivers, which are the parents. Slatter, uh, Slattery and Butler describe gender inclusive classrooms as a website designed uh, and dedicated to equipping educators with the tools they need to foster safe and welcoming gender inclusive classrooms. So, yeah, this is all woke stuff. Anyway. Yeah, they, uh, they already talked about all this stuff down here. Um, asked to respond for, to, the ble- to the backlash Slattery had received on social media made for his remark. John A. Provost, um, Ed, Ed D., superintendent of schools, who said he'd seen the panel discussion, confirming to Fox News Digital that Slattery was using the name and pronouns, which, which a student had requested, and that he had... Check both, but with both him and his principal on the appropriateness of this practice. He added that Slattery went on to uh, accurately summarize the district policy on non-discrimination on the basis of transgender and gender non-conforming status. And yeah, they already talked about all this stuff here. Yeah, examples of gender identity controversies in school have swept the country. In a recent example, several staff members of a Pennsylvania school district were attempting to hide their use of a middle of a middle school's preferred pronouns from their parents. A conversation revealed a school counselor at Charles F. Patton Middle School in Pennsylvania emailing teachers that a student prefers the pro, prefers the pronouns they them according to emails obtained by Fox News Digital. She is fine too, but students like they them best. If you were emailing home, it may be best to use she her when referring to the student. Parents have made it a point to become more involved in their kids' education in the past couple of years, particularly in the state of Virginia, where a parental uprising against the progressive curricula in part helped propel Republican Glenn Young into victory. Several voters said Democrat Terry McAuliffe helped sink his own campaign when he said, during a debate, that he didn't think parents should be telling the the schools what they should teach. But yeah, very, very interesting. Anyway, that's all I have for today for the Weekday Bugle. Oh, oh, also, um, there was this uh, school in uh, Washington, I think, or maybe Oregon, they actually had um the urinals in the men's in the they had urinals in the women in the women's bathroom. So like how can a woman pee like standing up, right? That's right, they can't. Anyway, that's all I have for today for the weekday bugle. That was my last thing there. Um and it was great talking to y'all. And um this has been the weekday bugle with your weekday news and Y'all have a great evening and I might talk I might talk to you so tomorrow.